Welcome back to the Crash Course Podcast. My name is Craig Crash Collins, joined as always by Brandon Scott, otherwise known as B. Scott. Well, it's the season finale uh, for the podcast uh, as we get ready to go on our hiatus. But before we do, we need to talk about the bowl games. We've got two Indiana schools going bowling. We've got Notre Dame against South Carolina as well as Purdue versus LSU. So, of course, we're going to break it all down. We're going to get into the weeds. We're going to talk about um, you know all the different things, including talking about some breaking news that Purdue had earlier today, uh, hiring a new head coach. So uh, a lot of things to talk about. We're also going to kind of give a uh, preview of the bowl season as well, tell you which bowls we're looking forward to the most, and, of course, uh, getting into predictions about the college football playoffs. So, uh, B. Scott, it's the most wonderful time time of the year it's bull season uh always exciting it's, it's always bitters- it's not the same anymore though i was gonna say it's it's bittersweet for me because like i like i don't know i don't know if it was because i was just so much more of a college football fan when i was younger and so and because it like coincided with obviously like winter breaks winter break yeah, yeah. you could just sit and watch football and, and all that stuff but now you got like other stuff Work. going around and you've got, yeah, yeah. You, you know, you're like, Oh, the tax slayer, you know, whatever, you know, Boca Raton. It's, it's not even o'clock. the same names as it yeah. used to be when we were growing up. Like I remember the Outback bowl. I remember the, um, okay. It was the Outback and there was the capital one bowl. Yeah. Those were the two big ones for the big 10 to make it to, if you did not make it to the Rose bowl. And essentially, Purdue is in it, in one of those. It was the old, uh, I want to say Capital One. Capital, yeah, Capital One. Bowl. Yeah, it was the Capital One Bowl, yeah. Um, yeah. In Orlando. Yeah, Um, I remember, you know, the Alamo Bowl is one that I looked forward to oh, every year. Loved the Alamo Bowl. Of course, my first memories of the Alamo Bowl were Drew Brees K-State marching it down the field against K-State. In which people don't want to remember don't remember that was actually Purdue's second consecutive trip to the Alamo Bowl. They had beaten Oklahoma State the year earlier prior to Breeze taking over as quarterback. So yeah. people forget about that one. But no for me, the bowl season has changed significantly and there needs to be a change with it. Because we are seeing so many players that have either now they have chosen to go into the transfer portal so they won't be playing. Or they're choosing to opt out of playing in a bowl game to either prepare for the transfer portal or prepare for the NFL draft. And it's we used to see it just very minimally with guys that were, hey, look, I'm a lock to be a first round pick. I don't want to risk it. Okay. Totally get it. Don't want you don't want to risk it. That's fine. And that's only been here in the last few years. But now it's like, hey, look, uh, I think I'm gonna be drafted. I don't know which round, but I'm gonna opt out because I'm good. It's like, what? You know, so I feel like a lot of bulls have lost the oomph behind it because of this opt-out business. And I actually heard somebody state the best way to fix it is put the bulls at the beginning of the year and have them be like in college basketball, you have these non-conference tournaments or big events that are not NCAA sponsored events which bulls aren't either and you can match teams up comparatively to 
their record the previous year and their region stuff like that i i i feel like you would get more of a draw and you're going to get every player to play in it because also that does set up then teams like hey look i want to build my my resume once the playoff expands this is the best way to do it so then all we really have to think about at the end of the year is conference championships and an expanded playoff and we're not inundated with meaningless games that players are sitting out of yeah even with coaching changes you're not having full coaching stats like purdue is a skeleton crew that's going to go to louisville after the game so it's like like what what's i don't know it's hard to get excited for bowls when you see all this type of stuff happening and that's a it's a good solution for it is to push them to the beginning of the year as non-con matchups that can help build resumes. I do like it. Uh, the only thing I could say would be wrong with it is that the fact that like you, you, I mean, you know, some of these schools love their, you know, cupcake matchups at the beginning of the year. They love, I mean, look, I mean, as much as, 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 as much as I, you know, you know, I'm excited about, you know, maybe what Michigan can do in the uh, college football playoff. I mean, their non-conference schedule this year was, what, UConn, Hawaii, and Western Michigan, something like that. Um, yeah, I mean, so, but IU's still going to get a team like Vanderbilt. So, are, so wait, so you're saying every Power 5? Every Power 5. Maybe. The only thing then is that, like, I don't think you're going to find, especially in the early fall, I don't think you're going to find a lot of because I mean, remember, a lot of these bowl games uh, they share sites with NFL teams, some with baseball teams, which whose seasons you're will playing still be going on Saturdays. On. You play them on Saturdays. It means bumping the end of the regular season a week. You have these games first week of the season, and then you go into your non-conference, your regular non-conference schedule, and then you go into your conference schedule, and then it's boom, conference championships, playoff. So you're having an extra game for everybody at the beginning, but I think you'd have it, to. The matchups are just all based upon what your final your final record yeah. was the previous year. I know it doesn't award the guys that put up a good record, and you're going to have turnover, obviously, but it's still it it's still allowing teams to field full. I mean, right now, like you have teams that. You know, they have a bunch of good players that put up a good record for them, and now they're all like, yeah, I'm opted out of the bowl game. I'm not playing in this meaningless game. But if the game has some sort of meaning to it, other than it just being extra practices for the young guys, uh, swag bag, and getting to play in Orlando in the beginning of January, I mean... Yeah, I I mean, I do think they should still keep, like, around the, the college football playoff, they should still keep, like, the Rose Bowl. The the like those traditional New Year's Day games, you know, Sugar Bowl. They should still but those keep would all be those. a part of the playoff. Are they? That's get- what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, I think so. I'm talking like the Tax Slayer Bowl. Well, yeah, I, I know you're talking about bowl. those games. I'm talking about these lower level ones. The BC, the old BCS ones, still keep those a part of the playoff because eventually those old BCS ones are not going to be ones that teams just qualify for. They're going to be like the semifinal matchups for the college football playoff right so it's not going to be just a penn state versus utah in the rose bowl in the future it's going to be whoever wins this region versus this region 
playing for a spot in the national championship. And that that's what that's why I'm saying take these meaningless bowls like the cap or the tax slayer, the pinstripe, the Duke's Mayo, the Cheez It Bowl, move them to the beginning of the year as like these non-conference matchups that can draw in sponsors that can, you know, you can still treat them like bowls. It's that thing. It's what is it's there to kick the season off, you know, and then you can have some of your bigger ones like the cotton bowl or whatever you want it to be, be for some of these higher up teams. So you're going to be seeing these week one matchups of like Alabama versus Ohio state that are going to be set up already for you. And you're not going to have to suffer through week one of Alabama versus Troy or Ohio State versus Toledo. You know, there's going to be very big, intriguing matchups at week one. And then we get to see them all again at the end of the year. Because really, when you think about it, the people that are tuning in are only going to really the like the, the nonchalant fans, the people that are just, you know, not the you and I, you and I will tune in for it. Right. Obviously. But the people that are just like your casual fan. They're tuning in New Year's Eve for the playoff. And then they're tuning in again a week later for the national championship. So let's give them something more. To, and you know, a casual fan also tunes into a lot more games week one because they're excited for football to be back. So give them more marquee matchups week one and then give them what they really want to see just at the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, you already kind of see a, a kind of a, a concept along those lines with like the Chick Fil A kickoff and stuff like that. So it it would right. be it would be a, a good, interesting concept for sure. But let's go ahead and look, take a look and dive in here as we, like I said, have two Indiana schools going bowling. Uh, it'll all get started on December thirtieth, as far as the Indiana schools go. The Tax Slayer Gator Bowl, number twenty one, Notre Dame, eight and four on the year versus number nineteen, South Carolina, also eight and four. The spread. Uh, has Notre Dame as two-and-a-half-point favorites. Then, of course, on January 2nd, you've got the Cheese uh, Citrus Bowl, number 17, LSU, 9-4, against Purdue, who is 8-4. The spread has LSU as nine-and-a-half-point favorites. So let's go ahead and go in chronological order here, cron-pod style, and talk about the Gator Bowl and, and some storylines uh, going into it. First, you know, the biggest storyline for me heading into – this Gator Bowl matchup between Notre Dame and South Carolina is the fact that quarterback for Notre Dame, Drew Pine, enters the transfer portal. Um, you know, he was the guy on the you know on the roster. You know, they they we've seen Notre Dame at least early in the year have a couple of quarterbacks vying for it, but really over that stretch run of the year where Notre Dame really started to hit their stride, Drew Pine was the signal caller. You I mean? This is an Irish team that, on the one hand, averages 200 yards per game through the air, um, which is 106th uh, out of 131 of the nation, so not a team that's really prolific passing. So you think, okay, not losing a whole lot there. But still, on the other hand, Tyler Buckner, uh, their backup, is thrown for just 378 yards on the season. He's got no touchdowns, two interceptions. Uh, he went 18 for 32 for 201 yards and two picks in the loss against Marshall earlier in the year. Uh, and he uh, w was 10 of 18 for 177 yards versus Ohio State week one. I mean, the Irish are top five team in terms of rushing offense, uh, but how one-dimensional they're going to potentially be with not only Buck, uh, not only Pine gone, uh, but some of the other playmakers they have gone as well. Um, that's going to be... You know, you know, kind of like what you're saying as far as not having your best lineup. Even though you went eight and four, you beat Clemson. You've got this really strong team. You're not going to have your best team on the field against uh, South Carolina. So it does 
it doesn't put Mar- uh, Coach Marcus Freeman in a good spot to try to go one and one for bowl games uh, for the Irish. Yeah, but well, I'll tell you one thing that does help him is the fact that South Carolina quarterback Spencer Rattler has put his name into the transfer portal and will not be playing in this game. So that is a big, big, big factor for the, the Fighting Irish going into this game. I mean, look, Notre Dame, their defense was what was going to lead them all this year. And that that's that's not going to change. Um, you know, they did go back and forth between the quarterbacks early on. Obviously, Drew Pine took over. And so it is a little bit of a surprise that he is transferring. And that is going to kind of change things up a little bit for them. Um, but make no difference of it. This team is going to be a run first team and they're going to play some really strong defense. I, I still do believe that Notre Dame has what it takes. Um, I mean, it's going to be, a, I think this is going to be one of the more intriguing bowl games of the entire bowl season. I mean, Notre Dame, you don't know which Notre Dame team you're going to get. Are you going to get the one that um, beats Clemson or are you going to get the one that loses to Marshall? Same thing with with South Carolina. Are you getting the team that beat Clemson and Tennessee, or are you getting the team that's also kind of an afterthought in the SEC? It's one of these, it's going to be such an intriguing matchup between these, these two teams. Um, But I, I, I don't really expect Notre Dame to shy too far away from their game plan. If anything, this kind of helps them start looking at to what next year could potentially look at like for them with Tyler Buckner under center. Yeah, it'll be uh it'll be interesting for sure to see um what does end up happening there. Um where are you seeing that Spencer Rattler entered the transfer port? I saw he tweeted it. See? Yeah. Cuz I'm looking through I cuz I made sure cuz I thought I saw the same thing. Um and I'm going through and I didn't necessarily see it. So um I'm pretty sure he did cuz I was like where do you think you're going, dude? Um when I saw that, because I know, I mean, a lot of people have been talking because originally one of the player the coaches that was. Well, yeah, well, you do look, that. Out, Go ahead. It, well, well, you look that up. I'm going to give because he's <laughs> the reason why. Is cause I, I mean, there, there's an give... article that came out a day ago from NBC that says a quick look at South Carolina and Spencer Rattler before Notre Dame focuses on them. Right. That's what I I, I was seeing once that was like because I thought I saw the same thing and it said he like he's going to play. He's going to play. He's going to play is every article that I saw. So maybe he said he maybe he said he's going to go into the transfer portal after the bowl game. Maybe. But regardless, I mean that that I mean I guess even that makes him even more so my uh, player to watch <laughs> for the game because that was that's why I was so like double checking everything uh, because Spencer Rattler is my impact player uh, for the South Carolina squad uh, because you know you mentioned it what team are we gonna get uh, you know from either of these teams I mean you like you mentioned it's a South Carolina team to beat Clemson and Tennessee at the end of the year um, but overall was eight and four and you. You know, and you know, part of that. I mean, in those last two games, Spencer Rattler, uh, in those upsets over number five Tennessee and number eight Clemson, completed seventy-two percent of his passes for seven hundred ninety-eight yards, eight touchdowns, just two picks, um, and he had a rushing touchdown in that game as well. But prior to those wins, you know, when they are what they would have been six and four on the season, uh, he was completing sixty-five percent of his passes, only averaging one hundred ninety-eight yards per game, and had just eight touchdowns to nine interceptions on the season. So, which Spencer Rattler? we going to get you know if we get him (laughs) which spencer rattler are we going to get 
uh, for the bowl game should he should he be playing? Because I like I said I'm, I'm with you. I thought I saw the article, which is why I like tried extra super duper hard uh, to make sure <laughs> that uh, you know the articles that I was seeing uh, showed him as playing. Um, but yeah, maybe he didn't. Maybe. Yeah, I'm not seeing him. I'm seeing. Okay, maybe he didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The, that is so weird because no, I, I'm I with swore, you because I thought I saw. Two. I saw a tweet that he was entering the transfer portal. Maybe it was a one-year anniversary. Like, hey, look, if it wasn't for this happening, South Carolina wouldn't won all these games. Yeah, but yeah, that's that. That's who my uh, you know, my impact player for South Carolina is, is Spencer Rattler because he if he's Anything like he was those two games, the last two games of the year. Now, obviously, you know, a lot less on the line as far as, like, I mean, you're playing in a bowl game, sure, but at the same time, you know, it's not a fellow SEC East opponent. It's not your arch rival. It's a Notre Dame team um, that, I mean, yes, is favored to beat you, but, you know, what team are we going to get? And if Spencer Rattler is anything close to what he was in those last two games of the year, then Notre Dame's got a problem on there. Yeah, it's... It's going to be interesting. I think that, like I said, to me, this is one of the more exciting games to watch as far as the Bulls goes. I think this is this one is a very evenly matched, and these are two teams that could potentially be on the rise for next year. Oh, yeah. Um, do you have an impact player for, uh, um, for South Carolina? Well, I mean, since he's there, I'm going with Spencer Rattler. I mean, your offense has been in a lot of shootouts this year. You put up more points over what two of the best offenses in the country in Clemson and Tennessee. If you have your quarterback there and Spencer Rattler, there's no reason you can't do it against this fighting Irish team either. Um, so it, all signs are pointing he's still there, and that's I did not exp- I didn't think that was legit. So uh, now it is going to be interesting. His I do know this for a fact. His tight number one tight end did go into the transfer portal. So that will be an interesting factor because um, tight ends are they're a quarterback's best friend. They're like the security blanket there for them. Uh, always there for the good check down. So that could be a that's a that's a, a key to keep an eye on. For sure. Um for Notre Dame, uh and so going along with that, I think a big factor for Notre Dame is going to be linebacker Jack Kaiser. He's kind of my player to watch for the Irish. Uh, second on the team in tackles uh, with 53. He's got two and a half sacks, which leads, uh, which is sorry, which is tied for second on the team after Isaiah Foskey decided to forgo the bowl game for the NFL draft. Uh, he's second. He's got two forced fumbles on the season. Uh, you know, this is a Notre Dame pass defense that comes to the game in the top 20, which I, I didn't expect to see in the top 20 in yards allowed per game, 191. And he, along with J.D. Bertrand, who is the leader in tackles, uh, has two sacks on his own will have to step up for that defense so those are two defenses you know like I said offense is not going to be in the greatest of positions um so it's going to be that defense uh, and those playmakers and Kaiser and Bertrand that are really going to have to step up for the yeah I definitely agree on Jack Kaiser look if you're going to try to slow down a high-powered offense that we've seen from South Carolina this year it all begins with your quarterback on defense and that for Notre Dame is Jack Kaiser um, so I expect him to have a big game. I mean, look, he's a guy that he has been arguably one of the, be- the best players the minute he walked on campus there. And he's going to continue that right into the bowl game for them and into next year. So we've got a hot or cold question for both bowl games. 
um, that we're going to talk about are both uh, Indiana Bowl games that we're going to talk about. And so the one, the take for Notre Dame's game is going to be hot or cold. Marcus Freeman will win his first bowl game uh, as a Notre Dame head coach. Of course, he was around for the Oklahoma State game last year, which Notre Dame did not win uh, in the Fiesta Bowl there. Uh, I'm actually going to say this is a cold take. I mean, no Drew Pine, no Michael Mayer, no Isaiah Foskey will just much to overcome for the Irish. Um, you know, backup quarterback, missing the top pass catcher, missing the leading pass rusher on one of the nation's best of pass defenses. Now, they've got a good running game, uh, and they can really, and one of their best assets with that running game is going to be able to keep the ball away from South Carolina's offense. Uh, you've got running back Logan Diggs and Audrey Esteme, who uh, have accounted for 1,500 yards and 14 touchdowns on the ground this season. But that South Carolina defense will be able to hone in on that rushing attack. They'll make them one-dimensional. Um, you know, they won't allow them to really get into much of a rhythm passing-wise, which is why I say the defense is going to be so important uh, for uh, Notre Dame uh, to try to stop that offense that South Carolina has and that rushing attack is going to try to have to, you know, keep that defense for the Gamecocks on the field. But I'm going with South Carolina. I, I, I don't think it's going to be, like, I think it's going to be a good game. I think it's going to be a fun game. Uh, but I think just it's going to be a situation where the defense is going to be able to hone in on those good running backs uh, of Notre Dame and, and – the Irish will be pretty one-dimensional. So I'm going with South Carolina here. Yeah, I agree. I think this is a cold take as well. I don't think Notre Dame can pull this one out. I just, I feel like South Carolina this year has been one of those teams that has risen to the moment when they've needed to. And this is going to be another one of those. And I think you hit the nail right on the head with starting your backup quarterback. And then also the fact they're losing Michael Mayer. That's that right there to me that's not an easy thing to lose. Um, can you overcome the loss of a running back? Yeah, maybe one wide receiver, but arguably your best player on offense, that's that's not easy. So I'm giving the, the nod to South Carolina as well, and I do not think uh, Marcus Freeman gets his first bowl win as a head coach this year. Now next year, let's talk. Now, you all the you know talk about the transfer <laughs> transfer portal earlier. This is like I literally was like, oh, Isaiah Foskey's gonna be my impact player. Uh, and he's, no, he's gone. He's gone. Oh, Michael Mayer. I think he's gonna have to step up if the backup quarterback has a good day. Uh, he is gone. So yeah, it's just there's there's too much impact players that are gonna be missing from that Irish squad, which is a shame because the Irish went from. Oh my God! They they're zero and two. They lost to Marshall, and and you know what's going on. They they almost nearly started zero and three, losing to Cal. Uh, but they really you know rallied back and had a good year. So I mean, I'm sure I don't know how the you know the Notre Dame message boards will receive it. I'm sure they'll be you know angry and calling for Marcus Freeman's head. But um, yeah, like you said, next year uh, I think they're going to be a good team. Um, so let's go ahead and shift gears over to Purdue um, and talk about the storylines over there. I'm going to kind of ignore the obvious one um, to talk about some other things. I know, B. Scott, you've got a lot to say on, on the obvious one as well, um, you know, with, of course, you know, Jeff Brom you know, moving on. Uh, and we'll get to more of that anyway here in a moment. But, um, you know, we talked about which version of Notre Dame and South Carolina you're going to see. I want to know which version of LSU and Purdue we're going to see uh, because <laughs> true. you have an LSU team that lost to Florida State week one, which Florida State was a much improved team this year. Uh, they got blown out by 27 to Tennessee. And they lost by 15 to Texas A&M. They didn't just get beat on some fluky play. They lost by double digits to a Texas A&M team that was terrible this year. 
Um, yeah. Well, but, in their defense, that was when Texas A&M was good. No, that was at the end of the year. Oh, it was. Okay, yeah. never mind. Yeah. I, I, I redacted <laughs> that, that was, comment. Because that was beginning when... of the year, Texas A&M looked good. And then it was just like, they, I guess maybe their NIL checks didn't cash or something. Yeah, something. <laughs> they all bounced. Uh, the, my favorite, after they lost to Appalachian State, my favorite, um, the next week when game day was there, my favorite sign was uh, the uh, the only ATM, because, of course, their logo is ATM, and it's like the only ATM that is good for $1.5 million because that's what Texas A&M paid Appalachian State to come and win in College Station. So um, that was pretty nuts. But, yeah, no, it was at the end of the year uh, you know, when I was thinking, okay, they're gonna here's what the playoff committee is going to do. They're going to line up. Georgia and LSU uh, one versus four to hype up a semifinal uh, matchup, and then I was like, "Well, they kind of screwed that all up with uh, losing A and M." So, because um, I was kind of thinking, "Would they LSU is going to get in if they be, if they uh, you know win the SEC championship?" And uh, they kind of you know ruined their chances with the loss to A and M. But um, but yeah, but this is also an LSU team that blew out Ole Miss by twenty five and upset uh, Alabama and Baton Rouge. Then you've also, on the other hand, got a Purdue team that lost to Syracuse and Wisconsin, got dismantled by Iowa by 21. I know, I know, the wind was crazy. You were there. Um, but still, <laughs> they did lose to an Iowa team uh, by quite a bit, an Iowa team that the lost. The wind was blowing so hard, though. That, that lost, they lost to Nebraska and lost to, uh, um, and like couldn't get the offense going against South Dakota State. So I know, I know the wind was blowing, but Iowa was also, I mean, of course, all the big Big Ten West teams were not the greatest, but anyway, uh, they also though no. uh, upset Illinois, uh, number who was twenty one at the time, and hung in the first half. I mean, they played a great first half against Michigan. If we get first mm-hmm. half Purdue uh, against, uh, LSU, I, I will tell you, going into the restroom, going into the second quarter when Purdue was leading, Michigan fans were in there going, "We're not worried, are we?" <laughs> Should yeah. we? Like, oh, no, we're not worried. It's yeah. Like, I don't think they were expecting that because actually after that first drive where they shut Purdue down, and Purdue went backwards on their first drive, and then Michigan just marched right down the field. Everybody was like, okay, this is the way it's supposed to be. And then all of a sudden Purdue comes back, and it's like, yeah, not so fast, my friend. And that stadium kind of was like, is this supposed to happen? <laughs> Wait a minute. What's happening? I don't think so. Um, and also I will say, cause so, all right. So set me straight here because I saw, uh, is Brian Brom still going to be the interim coach or is he, okay. He is, he is still because, um, because I know we talked about off offensive... air, he's going to LA or he's going to Louisville. He's going to Louisville. And so is the defense, the interim defensive coordinator, Mark Hagan just announced yesterday. He's going to Louisville as well. So yeah, that's fun. Yeah. Well, but what I was going to say though, too, is if Brian Brom is there, I don't, especially because he's the offensive coordinator, this is offense first kind of team i don't see purdue like taking a big step back for their bowl no. game so i if think anything that's... this is going to help them a little bit because brian brom doesn't usually get to call the plays and he's only done it once at his time at purdue and they beat iowa it was when jeff brom had covid during the covid year and uh brian brom was interim head coach at the time and purdue beat iowa and their offense kind of looked a little bit different I don't know. I, I, it's going to be interesting. All I can tell you is that the spread went from nine and a half down to four and a half today. There you go. So we're already getting so changes. We're getting all because they hired Ryan Walters. Right. It seriously they announced Ryan Walters and the spread went from nine and a half to four and a half. 
That's pretty incredible. You got any extra storylines to add before we go into impact players? I mean, obviously you got to look at the fact that there's going to be some players that are going to be, that have opted out already. One of them being a key player for Purdue secondary Corey Trice has said he is opting out to uh, prepare for the NFL draft. It's kind of confusing because he's not a first round pick. He's probably like a day two, day three pick at this point. So it's kind of a little head, a bit of a head scratcher. The other one that hasn't made up his mind, but apparently is leaning more towards opting out is wide all-American wide receiver Charlie Jones. This one makes a little bit more sense because Charlie Jones has been dealing with injuries majority of the year where he hasn't been practicing most weeks. He gets ready for game day, and that's about it. So for him to get healthy and heal his body up to get ready for the draft makes total sense. Um, but because one of the big key factors they Purdue looked at and why they kept Brom around Brian Brom around as the interim head coach is that ended up convincing Aiden O'Connell and tight end Peyton Durham to play in the bowl game. So you have your starting quarterback and your starting tight end that have decided they will be playing in the bowl game, which is a huge, huge gift for the Boilermaker team. And matter of fact, tonight there was a video released of Ryan Walters awarding Purdue, uh, redshirt freshman running back Devin Mockaby, who was a walk-on awarding him a scholarship and one of the players in the meeting in the team meeting with Ryan Walters when this happened was Aiden O'Connell so that just kind of shows you he's still around the team he's all for this team and honestly a good performance from him in a bowl game could potentially even boost his draft stock a little bit um, because right now he's kind of fringe potentially drafted or undrafted yeah. And I mean, he's my impact player because I think because I mean, it all yeah. kind of it all kind of, you know, uh, it all kind of lines up the way you would want it to, you know, with the with the coaching change going on is to have the guy who's still the offensive coordinator. Like you said, big reason why Aiden O'Connell's still back. I mean, this is a quarterback who's completed 64 percent of his passes for nearly 3,500 yards, 22 touchdowns, 13 picks, uh, completed 68 percent of his passes for 366 yards and two interceptions versus Michigan. So, I mean, obviously, aside from the two picks, he had a pretty good game against the Michigan defense that is one of the best. Um, you know, he leads a Purdue offense that's fourth in yards per game in the Big Ten sixth in scoring, second in the conference in passing. And like I said, with the departure of Jeff Brom, you know, you kind of thought, oh, no, you know, what will this offense look like? But the fact that you've got Brian Brom sticking around uh, bodes well, and I think O'Connell can have a good night. So, um, uh, yeah, Aiden O'Connell is going to be someone to watch, and I think he's going to be the big difference maker for Purdue. I'm looking at two guys as my difference makers. Uh, Aiden O'Connell, he's a given. Right. But I'm looking at, tight end Payne Durham knowing that he is going to play in this game that's huge because this is a guy that if he can have a big game that pays dividends for this Purdue offense that opens things up for receivers on the outside because Payne Durham is a load to handle in the middle I mean he was I mean, he's he's one of the better tight ends in the country so that that's that's big but I'm also looking at Devin Mockaby you got a scholarship now and you know, everybody knows you can perform. Now is your time to go out there. I mean, Michigan struggled to stop you in certain situations. But if you could go out there and have a big game against LSU, that this is win or lose. It doesn't matter for Purdue. We'll just be honest. It does not matter at this point. But for Maccabee to go out and have a big game could potentially set up Devin Maccabee to look be looked at next year as one of the top running backs in the country, potentially. 
a guy that could be a potential dark horse Heisman candidate in the next year or two. That this game is going to set up quite a bit for Devin Maccabee going forward in the future. Yeah, I completely, I'm, I'm completely with you. I'm, I'm ex- I was excited to see uh, Maccabee grow a lot this year, and and he is going to be. It's going to be exciting player. to actually see him grow physically once yeah. he puts on a little bit of weight, muscle. Oh, yeah. Good luck. <laughs> um, I didn't mean to do this uh, for both matchups, but I actually went like offense and then defense for the other team as far as like impact player. Um, but for LSU, my player to watch is going to be linebacker Harold Perkins Jr. He's just a freshman. He's third on the team in tackles with 69. Uh, he's got seven and a half sacks, which leads the team. He had an interception. He's got an interception and three forced fumbles. His coming out party was the Arkansas game where he had eight tackles four sacks and two forced fumbles with a Purdue offense that may or may not be on their game. Perkins could be in for another strong performance. I think he's going to be really important uh, for that LSU defense um, as far as uh, stopping Purdue on offense. Yeah, I'll, I'll be honest. I don't really know too much about the LSU team this year, um, but it, their defense is going to have to be key in this one. So you picking a, a defensive player is is a, is the right move to go, because Purdue's going to struggle to stop LSU's offense. Regardless, it's just what the way we've come to know Purdue as the year has gone on. But if Purdue can hang with them offensively, then it it it's going to be a, a tough matchup. It's going to be a shootout. But if LSU's defense can just step up, get a couple stops, that's going to be key for them. So I actually, what I'm going to say is I'm going to looking at an impact group, and that is the LSU defensive secondary. Can they limit Purdue's wide receivers? Can they keep them contained, keep them in front of them? Purdue doesn't have a lot of burner speed, but they have some guys that are, can be a little bit twitchy. Like you got your TJ Sheffield, you got your Mershawn Rice, those types of guys can get a little twitchy. Dion Burks. Um, can you contain Devin Mockaby? Obviously, Devin Mockaby is going to get, they're going to put him in a ton of different positions to get the ball because he is your best player. Let's just be honest. Devin Mockaby without Charlie Jones there is your best player. So they're going to be passing it to him. They're going to be running him out sweeps. They're going to be running him up the middle. Can you contain him? And I think a lot of that comes down to the secondary as well, being able to key in and read the plays uh, to determine whether or not they need to stick with their man at wide receiver or try to go in and contain mock. So the hot or cold question uh, is going to be hot or cold. LSU will cover the spread versus Purdue. Now, originally when that when that question was asked, it was nine and a half, but I'm okay with still asking it because my answer was cold regardless. Uh, you know, these are two teams – uh, that are top 50 in the country uh, on both sides of the ball. LSU is 30th on, in total offense, averaging 443 yards per game. Purdue is 50th in yards per game with 410. Purdue is 38th in yards allowed per game, 350. LSU is 49th, allowing 363 yards per game. Um, you know, there's question marks surround, uh, surrounding both teams. How uh, how up will LSU be after knocking on the doorstep of the college football playoffs slash New Year's Six? How will Purdue look without Jeff Brom? Uh, this is shaping up, in my opinion, to be kind of like the Music City Bowl was last year uh, with Purdue and Tennessee as far as a lot of points, a lot of back and forth. Um, so, you know, I have more faith in Purdue potentially winning this game than I do uh, LSU winning by two scores. And, heck, I think if LSU or either team wins, it's going to be a one-score, potentially three 
you know, you know, point game. So this it's going to be a close game. It's going to be a back and forth offensive affair. Um, so uh, no matter what the spread is, unless it's like guess like half a point or a point and a half. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I I I think uh, I I wouldn't be uh, you know, uh, feeling very confident in picking LSU with the spread. So uh, I'm going cold on this. I'm going cold take too because I'm taking the Purdue Boilermakers to win the game. Why not? They got look. LSU thought they were gonna go be playing for the the college football playoff. They got beat by Texas A&M. They're losing some players to the portal. Purdue's got nothing to lose, and that's exactly the way they were last year against Tennessee. They had nothing to lose and, and nothing really. I mean, everything to gain, but nothing to lose. And they're like, hey, you know what? Let's go out there. Let's just go have some fun. We got a new coach coming in. They all like Brian Brom. They all do like him. I don't think they were all fond of Jeff Brom, though. Um, so I think they're just going to go out there. They're going to prepare for this game, have fun. Got a lot of big seniors that are coming back that are going to play in this game. Go win it for them. Purdue wins. So it's a cold take. LSU does not cover the spread. Now, you mentioned Jeff Brom. Real quick before we uh, move on to the rest of the bowl season, I did want to talk about that a little bit. Um, you know, as far as doing a reaction to both the Jeff Brom leading, leaving and the hiring of Ryan Walters. First of all, as far as Jeff Brom leaving uh, for me, I mean, it makes sense. We've heard, I feel like every offseason we've heard rumblings uh, of Jeff Brom to Louisville, Jeff Brom to Louisville. Um, and honestly, as the way it stands right now, um, as you know, the way the playoff is about to be, the way the conferences are, I think Louisville is a better job as far as like a competitive standpoint because because oh it's gonna be the, easier to win with the play yeah with the college football playoff expanding to twelve teams in a couple of seasons and the ACC not being as deep as the Big Ten Louisville has a legit shot to get there because now that Clemson's kind of taking a step back I know we kind of want to see it for multiple seasons before we say that that era is over um, but I mean I've heard experts say that you know what after you get past Clemson, the ACC is pretty close as far as uh, talent level. We saw, heck, Louisville was a little bit better even this season than they've been in years past. Um, And also, I mean, Purdue's about to be the Big Ten East. Uh, which means they're going to be playing. Uh, uh, there's not going. I don't know what you can't say. They're going to be. We don't know what divisions are going to look like in the Big Ten. Well, they're doing away with divisions altogether. It's going to end up being the top two teams playing for the championship. So most likely, we're going to see back-to-back weeks of Ohio State versus Michigan in the championship. Well, even even then, I was going to then. Yeah, even then, yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> like even in that scenario, Purdue would have to be in the top fifteen, top ten to even be in a position. To, which I mean doesn't happen very often. So, um, so yeah, I think overall, as far as you know, getting to a point of playing in the college football playoff and having a chance to get you know some better recruits and that kind of thing, I think that job just makes sense uh, for Jeff Brom to take it uh, now as you know best time than any to go ahead and take that job. So it makes sense to me. It stinks, but not like not super angry about it. Um, now I will say though too, I am. Uh, really excited about them getting Ryan Walters. He's named as the uh, Purdue head coach. He played at Colorado. He was the defensive coordinator uh, from 2018 to 2020. He was a defensive coordinator at Illinois the past two seasons. Uh, Illinois was first in points allowed per game and yards allowed in the Big Ten this season. So I think that's a good hire. I, I know 
that you know I think Purdue fans may have wanted someone a little bit more you know offensive in mindset. That's kind of what's been successful. You oh, guys a little bit more experience. You guys were uh, not not great uh, history of hiring a defensive coordinator. Uh, I, I. Oh, e. hey. Darryl. Because wasn't Daryl Hazel? Well, I mean, he was the head coach at Daryl Hazel. But, but. He was the wide receivers coach at Ohio State. Uh, I thought he was. You want to know? No, nope, he coached wide receivers at Ohio State. Do you want to know who the last defensive coordinator Purdue hired? A, a co- the last head coach that came to Purdue that was a defensive coordinator at one point in his career. Nope. I want to see if you can guess. Um, well, oh man, I'll just say, Joe Tiller. Oh. He was, he was a de- he was a defensive coordinator in the early nineties. At well, was it early? It was was it the early nineties or late eighties? It was a long time ago. But defensive coordinator at Purdue. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't have guessed that because I thought Joe Tiller was the offensive coordinator in Wyoming. He, he brought he, he was he, that's what he took ended up taking that position. He became head coach there. He was head coach at Wyoming, and he brought his absurd idea of basketball and grass to the big 10 and it revolutionized football in the big 10. So, but yes, he was a defensive coordinator at one point in time, which oh. isn't too surprising. Cause when you look at his teams, the defenses were pretty good. Yeah, that is true. He started the, the, the den of defensive ends. He had like Roosevelt Colvin, Aiken Odell, just the list goes on and on. So, just saying. Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't. I saw that, and I was like, "Oh, I did not realize Tiller was a defensive coordinator." Yeah, I wouldn't guess that either. But yeah, I I, I like the hire. I think going I'm with, coming around to it. Yeah, I I I I do like it. I think. I mean, yes, you know, I know we you've talked we you know texted about it. You mentioned off air that Purdue beat Illinois. This is a this is a defense that couldn't stop. Um. Um. Or, or this is a defense that couldn't stop Purdue this year. But also, I mean, this Illinois defense played strong against Michigan. So, which is also, you know, the team that Purdue held in check for a little bit of time. So, I mean, I I think it's good. Illinois has gotten better. I mean, the fact that Illinois was first in the Big Ten as far as points allowed and yards allowed per game. Um. You know, Illinois was in position to go to the Big Ten championship per, before losing to Purdue. Um. So there's there's some things to like about it. I think. Going that different direction, I mean, you're gonna. No matter how the Big Ten looks, your defense is gonna have to be more improved if you're gonna get anywhere close to where you just were a couple of weeks ago. Um, so I, I think he can be the guy that that does that. And, and you know, he's done some things. Obviously, the scholarship for Maccabi is really good. So he's he's doing things to win that program over. That was easy though. That was right, easy. I right. mean, obviously, that was one of those things that Jeff Brom was gonna have to do. But hey, for that to be your first order of business as the new head coach. That says something. Yeah. Your reaction, B. Scott, we're waiting on it, man. Oh, I mean, like I told you, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm coming around to it. I'm. What about the Jeff Brom situation? Start there first. Oh, I, I'm not surprised. Um, one, when he turned them down a couple of years ago, he basically said, hey, look. I have unfinished business at Purdue. I, I came here to start a job, and it's not complete yet. Okay. This past offseason, he went. He was down in Louisville speaking to a group of boosters, and somebody asked him about taking the position at Louisville in the future, and he basically said he would love to have it. So it was like, okay, he had his he had one foot out the door this year. 
everybody was expecting this to happen until Louisville all of a sudden started winning. So it's like, okay, they're not going to get rid of Scott Satterfield. And then Satterfield did the unexpected and it said, peace, I'm going to Cincinnati. Um, so really, if anybody wants to take, we can turn to thank anybody for all of this starting. We can look at Wisconsin and say, Luke Fickle. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. You took Luke Fickle and that set everything in motion. But honestly, from what I'm hearing about this past season and way you can actually see it a little bit on the field too, the culture that Jeff Brown was building up in the locker room this past year wasn't ideal. I mean, we saw a lot of silly, stupid penalties at end of games. This team was just not very disciplined. It seems Ryan Walters is going to bring a more disciplined approach. Everybody knows that. Um, so that would be a good thing. But I mean, you saw this defense was really good to start the season. And then there was rumors that your two best defensive players, Corey Trice and Chris Jefferson, who are roommates, got in a fight in their apartment. And all of a sudden, Chris Jefferson just quit. He quit playing football. He quit the team, said it was to focus on his mental health and just disappeared from the face of the earth. And you just heard a lot of inside stuff that was just like, okay, what is going on behind the scenes? So it was kind of like when Jeff Brom decided to leave, even when you're watching him coach this past year, he just didn't seem fully engaged like he had in the past. Like he literally had one foot out the door. So it was kind of a miracle that this team put together a, a, a solid season and got to the big 10 championship when it, you kind of felt like everything was falling apart around that program. So I think this was the right time to make this move because you're losing a lot of players. You're going to have a very young team next year and a, a, a pretty tough schedule. I mean, look, you open the season against Fresno state. Then you also, then you go on the road to um, Virginia tech. I think Notre Dame's back on the schedule again next year. And you, and you also are playing both Ohio state, and Michigan. So it, it's not an easy schedule. It's going to be a rough season next year. So it makes sense to kind of start fresh when you know there's going to be a, re, a potential rebuild involved. So it's the right time. And apparently, Jeff Brom would have been happy at Purdue. But there's a lot of strings being pulled behind the scenes by other members and his family, uh, his father, Oscar, and his older brother, or his middle brother, Greg, who is like a, a sponge, just a leech. Like literally this dude has a job. His job was to just be around the football complex and fetch coffee and be uh, just an errand boy. I don't know. He's, it was all kind of shady and he's already been guaranteed a spot at Louisville. And I don't know. It was just the way that things were run. There was only a few people that were within the decision-making circle of what people started titling Bromcore, like Brom Corporation. And it, it caused a lot of internal strife with coaches. I mean, obviously, what, four defensive, four or five defensive coordinators the past four or five seasons? Right. That doesn't bode well. And then you have a, a good offensive coordinator who was not allowed to call the plays. Jeff Brom called the plays. And I, I don't know. It just 
it was just a lot of things that if you really step back and looked at it, you were like, yeah, I'm kind of glad this circus is out of town. They came, they did what they were supposed to do, help get Purdue the ship righted, and they did. Now let's let's fig- find somebody that can really connect with these players. And I think that was a, a big, big key in this interview process, and that's a big reason why they went with a younger guy, 36 years old, almost my age. <laughs> I mean, just a few years older, like a year older than me. Um, but he connects with the players. He understands them. They feel like they can connect with him. He's an, he's a, a good leader. I think this is the right move at this point in time. The more I look at it, the more once I, when I first initially saw it, I was disappointed because there was a lot of talk of, especially from the athletic director, Mike Babinski of big names, big splashes, you know, taking Purdue to the next level, somebody with a lot of head coaching experience. And then there's rumors that Shane Beamer has thrown his name in the, in the mix. And, which apparently his agent did just to get him a raise. Um, so there was a lot of things. And then all of a sudden for it to be Illinois defensive coordinator, Ryan Walters, you're kind of like, what? And then you're like, oh, and it took you guys since last Wednesday to figure this out. <laughs> Couldn't we have done that like three days ago? So yeah, it, I think the whole just how long it took was a big and then for only to be a defensive coordinator with no head coaching experience from Illinois was just kind of like a, a gut punch to some Purdue fans. Like a lot of like it was described, this is the most Purdue move ever. But the more you look at it, you go, it's really not a young defensive minded coach. All right, because, I mean, I think the youngest coach that Purdue had hired recently was Daryl Hazel, and there was a guy that was just like he thought he was the smartest man in the room and decided he just wasn't going to do anything because he was he thought he was just that good, mm-hmm. which, which he wasn't. Right. So I think this will be this, – this has the potential to be really good. Yeah. Next year is going to be rough. It, it was going to be rough regardless. But yeah. the future beyond that will be pretty good. Yeah, I'm excited to see what happens with the Purdue Boilermakers and yeah, I think I think it was a good move. I like it. Uh and so we'll see what happens. Um so uh, before we get though to the rest of the bowl schedule, let's go ahead and hear about our friends of the show. Are you tired of your same old lunch hour of sitting and scrolling through your apps and your smartphone? Have you thought about playing a board game with your coworkers? Eat Lunch and Board Game is a podcast dedicated to telling you about board games that are great for lunchtime fun and some that are probably better saved for after work hours. I've been playing games at my office for over four years now where I have made new friends and business connections that have been very useful. Board games build bridges. So the rest of the bowl games, we're going to do a quick bowl season outlook, talk about you know what we're most excited for, what games are the most intriguing, um, and give a preview of the college football playoff. And, you know, as far as bowl games I'm excited for, I don't know what it is, but I always get excited to see college football games played at baseball stadiums. I know that, like, I'm a big baseball fan. Obviously, that probably plays into it, but it's just cool to see, like, your favorite stadiums, like, in a different way. Like, heck, I was geeked up when I got to call a uh, – uh, I can't remember who Speedway was playing, but Speedway played a, a game at Victory Field one time, and I got to call mm-hmm. it, and it was super exciting. 
Um, but I mean, you've got the Fenway Bull, Cincinnati versus Louisville, which I've saw a TikTok that was like uh, Scott Satterfield should just stand in the middle of the two teams and call the plays that way because they have to be on the same <laughs> stand side on the of same sideline. Yeah, line, so it's yeah. like they should just stand in between them. Um, you've got the Holiday Bowl at Petco Park between Oregon and UNC, the Pinstripe Bowl, uh, Yankee Stadium, Syracuse, and Minnesota. So a lot of a lot of baseball stadiums being included. Um, I think uh, Oregon and UNC, I think, is going to be the most fun. I think of all the bowl games that maybe are non New Year's Six. You've got Bo Nix versus Drake May. Uh, you know those two quarterbacks going head to head, both you know prolific as far as passing and running the football. I'm still going to watch Oregon. Love Oregon, even though they cost me a bet by blowing a 28 point lead. Um, I still am all in on the Oregon Ducks. It's going to be a fun bowl season. But yeah, I think I think Oregon UNC is the most one, the one I'm most excited for. I'm actually going to say I'm most excited for the Louisville Cincinnati game. Yeah, I mean it is so intriguing the fact that Louisville's old coach is going to be Cincinnati's new coach, and they're playing together and sharing a sideline. I think that's that's fun. I mean, the other one I'm looking at is obviously, like I said earlier, um, the South Carolina and Notre Dame game. I think that's going to be the most competitive. But and the, I'll tell you the one I'm least looking forward to is the Pinstripe Bowl. Really? I, don't, I can never get into that one. That one's just like the, the weather's always super gross. And the fact that one of the teams you're bringing in is from New York. Like Syracuse is going to be like, are you kidding me? We just get to travel just a few hours south not only that not only that but you're gonna not only make us go an out you know a few hours south but you're also going to make it you're going to take us out of our dome in the middle of in in jane in the middle of december to play minnesota to play minnesota in (laughs) the pinstripe bowl and those gophers are just gonna be rowing the boat no matter what the weather is so uh, yeah that's the one i'm like that's the one like i'm glad purdue won enough games to avoid that's the one you you just don't like it, the joke was always in the Big Ten. You don't want to end up in the quick lane bowl or the pizza bowl, whatever it is in Detroit. Yeah, the little Caesars I'm like, bowl, yeah. I'm like, that's quick lane now. It used to be right, little Caesars. Yeah. I'm like, hey, I would take that bowl in a heartbeat over the pinstripe bowl. Like do not want to go to the pinstripe bowl on December 29th at, at Yankee Stadium. No, thank you. Hey, those games between Central Michigan and Purdue back in the day were pretty Those were great. Yeah. Dan, well, I mean, those Dan, Dan LaFever versus, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you, okay, so at that point in time, there was a period of time between those two seasons, Purdue, or between the, those. Because yeah, they played non conference too, right? Yeah. Purdue and Central Michigan played each other four times in one calendar year. Four times. It was unreal. <laughs> <laughs> but we were, it was like they became our biggest rival. Yeah. Because they were good. I mean, Dan LaFever was, I mean, we all know this from our time in the the, the Mac as well. Dan Lefevre was legit. And, I mean, and then him and Curtis Painter both ended up on the Colts roster at one point in time. So, yeah. Hey, another thing about the Purdue search, I even, this is from what I texted you. This made me think of it just going back to our days in the Mac. But I texted you when I heard Shane Beamer was a potential. And I said, hey, it looks like uh, the old Ball State coach could be coming back to the state of Indiana. Pete Lembo, who's on the, sh- the staff at South Carolina with uh, Shane Beamer. And I, to me, that was the most exciting part because when uh, Purdue fired Danny Hope before they, or no, when, yeah, when Purdue fired Danny Hope before they hired Daryl Hazel, 
uh, Pete Lembo was actually one of the guys I was really hoping Purdue would have gone after. Oh yeah, he did great things at Ball State. I mean, yeah. before before Ball State, and I I even wrote that on the message board for on the Purdue message board when people started talking about Shane Beamer. I said, hey, Pete Lembo's on his staff and he's got Midwest ties and he built quite a program when he was at Ball State. Well, I mean, it didn't. That, stay I up mean, that way for a while. Yeah, I was gonna but... say that's the only time that I can remember. I've lived in Muncie my whole life. I that's the only time I can recall them being like consistently good year over year. As far as just like I mean, because even they be, they won the MAC championship and and went to uh, and won a bowl game for the first time just a couple of years ago. And now you know they go five and seven. Their biggest you know their biggest offensive talents in the transfer portal, their quarterbacks in the transfer portal. So, um, you know, that's the last time they were consistently good was when Pitt I mean, this was, Pitt was there. The, this was pre-transfer portal. You could only transfer right. under mitigating circumstances and graduate work. And Pete Lembo worked the transfer portal. I mean, one of his best players was Jonathan Newsom. He got in the transfer portal who transferred from Ohio State because of a mitigating circumstance with – Jim Tressel being fired and he came into ball state and was like played out there like a man among boys. Yeah, He was a monster. I mean, that's what got him on drafted and he played for the Colts for a while. I mean, talk about a career wasted, but I mean, there was a, there was a lineup at one point that had, I think a guy named uh, Brandon, something, a defensive lineman from Notre Dame who transferred in for graduate work. Uh, they had, Tony, oh my gosh, what was Tony's name? He was a running back from Tennessee. I know who you're talking about. I don't remember his last name. Horrible. <laughs> horrible. La- he wasn't horrible. He was lazy. He was in sports link with me, but he was lazy. That was his issue. He had all the the he he had everything that he needed to be a really good running back for Ball State. He was just lazy. So but yeah. Tony, I mean that he he worked the transfer portal, and then he had a quarterback in Keith Winning that ended up in the NFL. I mean, yeah, I mean, Willie I think Sneed. his biggest claim, Willie yeah. Sneed, yeah, yeah, exactly. carved out a great. Uh, I mean, carved out a great career. I'll, maybe one of the reasons, I mean, not one of the reasons, Mike knew was the quarterback at Ball State for a while, but all, you know, one of the things that kind of endeared him to the fan base is the fact that he worked with Willie Sneed in New Orleans. So, yeah. so I, when I saw it, I was like, oh my gosh, please bring Pete Lembo in to the Purdue coaching staff, but obviously that didn't work out. So looking at the new year six, uh, bowl games, you know, which new year six bowl game is, uh, most intriguing. I mean, you've got in the orange bowl, number uh, seven, Clemson, 11 and two versus number six, Tennessee, 10 and two, the sugar bowl, number nine, Kansas state, 10 and three versus number five, Alabama, 10 and two cotton bowl, number 10, USC, the Heisman trophy winner, Caleb Williams, 11 and two versus number 16 to lane 11 and two as well. And then the Rose bowl, uh, number eight, Utah, uh, 10 and three versus number 11, Penn state, 10 and two. I mean, first of all, how could you not look, love what they did putting Clemson and Tennessee uh, both in the Orange Bowl. I mean, a that's just – that's a lot of orange in that game. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to see that. Um, I think Kansas State has a chance to beat Alabama, uh, and I think oh, yeah. and I, I think too. that game uh, will be the best. Uh, but I think the game that will be the best is the Rose Bowl. I mean, this is a Utah team uh, that was close to winning it last year against Ohio State. That game was back and forth. Utah, you know, was in great position to win and ultimately lost it late. Um, and I think they get it done this year against Penn State. I think you're gonna. I mean, Penn State. I think is gonna put up a, put up a good fight. They did improve as the year went along. Um, I mean, they went from a team that you know they they beat the pants off of you know Auburn earlier in the year. We found out that Auburn was a mess. Um, but 
They hung in with Ohio State. They played strong against Michigan in the first half. They they blew out you know the teams they were supposed to blow out late. So uh, I think that the Rose Bowl is probably going to be the most intriguing, the most the best game of those New Year's six. So for me, I'm actually going with uh, K State versus Alabama. I don't know. Just watching K State in the Big Twelve Championship game, I became a huge fan. I, I did. I mean, Chris Kleiman's got himself a, quite a program over there now. And to do what they were able to do against TCU, like I thought, okay, TCU is going to run away with this thing. I think we both almost thought that one. But for K-State to come in there and just, I mean, basically K-State was one of those, they had nothing to lose in that game as well. And TCU had everything to lose. So it was interesting, very interesting. Um, and I think that mindset is going to transfer over to this bowl game because Alabama is like, man, this isn't us. We need to be in the playoff. We don't play in New Year's Six. We play in the playoff. But what's funny is a K-State team had that same thought many years ago in 1997 when they thought they should be playing for a national championship and not playing in the Alamo Bowl against a lowly Purdue team. Purdue came out and beat them. I think the same can happen this year with Alabama saying, look, K-State's beneath us. We need to be playing up there with the big boys for the national championship. And, you know, first off, also Alabama's lost some players to the transfer portal. So that's going to be a, a, a factor for them. And I just don't think Alabama is quite the same Alabama as we've seen. Okay, yeah, the talent's just not as good. Okay, that's one thing. But I'm just thinking motivation. They, I don't know. They just haven't had that same aura to them that they've had in the past where you're like, man, these guys are just bigger and better. And no matter what you do, they're always going to be bigger and better than you. I don't get that same feel from Alabama. They don't carry themselves that way this year. And I, so I think K-State's going to come in with all the confidence in the world and just going to play loose. And I, I'm just really excited about this one because this could be a game that potentially knocks Alabama from a pedestal down to where Clemson is right now in a, a world that we're not consistently making the playoff anymore. We're still good enough to make the New Year's Six, but we're now one step below that top four. It could be interesting. This could be a big transition time, and it could eventually lead to a potential retirement sooner rather than later from a certain coach named Nick Saban. I don't know if I go that far. Uh, I mean, he, I, well, not, well, look, he's look, not going to retire look, because of this game, but it could because, start putting well, those wheels in motion. It could, but also you got to consider that the college football playoffs about to go to 12 teams and right. those things where I've been like, why does why do all the experts not want to see 12? Because that almost ensures that every year Alabama is going to get in. So why do all these pundits like, you can't put 12 in? Well, why not? Your favorite team is going to get in every year. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> but yeah, this is actually my biggest upset of the bowl season. I think is going to come here. Number nine, Clem number nine, Kansas State over number five, Alabama. I mean, first of all, if you want your wacky stat for the day, Alabama is one in three in Sugar Bowls under Nick Saban. They lost to Utah in two thousand nine. They lost to Oklahoma in two thousand thirteen, and they lost to Ezekiel Elliott and the Buckeyes in two thousand fourteen in the College Football Playoff. 
73% of fans pick Alabama to win, the, uh, and the expectation will be that, that the Tide, like you said, will be pissed off. They, they, they're not playing for you. Even after Nick Saban's impassioned speech during the halftime of the Big Ten Championship, um, which was weird. Was weird, yeah. And and lobbying off of their big wins over Austin P and a, a bad Auburn team at the end of the year, talking about how he has so many injuries. Man, dog, you don't understand. There's been so many injuries. Um, they still get left out of the college football playoff. This Alabama team is gonna be mad. But K State's feisty. They almost beat TCU the first time around, and. You know they had. I mean, sure. Did they lose? You know, some games they probably shouldn't along the way. Sure, they I, they did. Um, you know, and they're coming off. Uh, you know, but they're coming off of a Big Twelve title win over number three TCU. You know, I mean, you know, Bama's only favored by three, so Vegas thinks it'll be close as well. And I'm going with K State. I think this is going to be a, a big upset. Um, you know, for the Kansas State Wildcats, I think it's going to be kind of the shocker of the bowl season. See, I agree. I think this is going to be the biggest upset. The one I'm, I'm, I'm going to, since I don't want to just say the same thing, the one I'm hoping is an upset is Penn State over Utah. It's still the original Pac-12 versus Big Ten in the Rose Bowl, probably the one of the last times we'll see that. And the Big Ten just needs that respect. You know, Big Ten's looking to try to be one of those two power conferences, Big Ten and the SEC. And to be able to compete for that title, you got to take care of, you got need one of your main blue bloods to take care of business in the granddaddy of them all. And that's Penn State beating Utah. So that's the upset I'm hoping to see. And I'm saying it's an upset because let's be honest, Penn State is good, but I don't think, I mean, it, look, Penn State wasn't going to be in this game if the commit, if, its committee did not, or if USC doesn't lose, Penn State's probably in another New Year's Six Bowl. They're not in the Rose Bowl. Yeah, I'm I'm with you there. Um, before we go here, um, we uh, we want to get to our college football playoff predictions. Um, and so of course you've got number one Georgia versus number four Ohio State in the Peach Bowl. Number two Michigan versus number three TCU in the Fiesta Bowl. Very shocked, very proud of the College Football Playoff Committee for leaving TCU in because I definitely thought that wasn't going to happen when B when B Scott texted me in the Big Twelve Championship game and said you wanted chaos, right? And I was like, yeah, but I don't, I don't, I don't want to see Alabama and Ohio State get in, uh, both get in. Um, and so that didn't happen. So I'm very happy about that. They're uh, Michigan TCU in the Fiesta Bowl. Um, so uh, in both of these instances, it's tough to ignore the last time out for these teams. Um, for Ohio State and Georgia, I mean, they're actually pretty similar statistically in terms of yards per game on offense and defense, but hard to ignore how Michigan dismantled the Buckeyes and how Georgia has just been so dominant all season. I mean, even in some you know, instances where you're like, is LSU going to come back and make this a game in the SEC championship? That's when Georgia really rose to the occasion. Uh, I'm taking the Bulldogs there. And then Michigan took care of business against Purdue, and honestly, except for a bad half here and there, has looked good all season, kind of like Georgia. You know, Maybe not to the same extent, but they've looked dominant uh, in the Big Ten this year. And TCU had a huge letdown in the Big 12 title game and didn't look all that great in Jerry World. So give me the Wolverines there. So I got number one versus number two. And for the national championship, I'm actually going to take Michigan here. Uh, maybe wishful thinking on my part just because I don't want to see another SEC team win. 
But Georgia, I mean, you look at these two teams. Georgia is seventh on offense in yards per game with 492. Michigan is 27th uh, with 454. They're really similar on defense. Uh, Michigan's third in yards allowed per game. Georgia's ninth. So both teams are so close statistically. And I will say this, another fun fact, fun stat for you. We have never seen a repeat champion in the college football playoff as far as like back-to-back, back-to-back years. So obviously we've seen Alabama and Clemson. But like we've never had teams win in back-to-back seasons. Um, Alabama was the last repeat champion in college football in 2011 and 2012. Uh, And I say outright because there was that year that USC and Michigan shared it in 2003 and then – USC one and oh four. Um, but and the, the only team uh, Alabama that those two Alabama teams were the only teams to outright win uh since uh, the BCS came into play in nineteen ninety eight. So um we it's I was shocked too when I saw that because I was like, wait a minute, have we I was thinking back on I was like, okay, Ohio State, Bama and Clemson flip flopped through twenty nineteen, then L S U, Bama again, then um Georgia last year. So yes, it has never happened the college football playoff era, and it's only happened once in the BCS era as far as outright champions. So I'm going with Michigan. I'm hoping – I hope I'm, I want to see the Big Ten get it done. Uh, I'm not entirely sure how confident I am in that pick, but I'm going Michigan. Man, this is a tough one. I think I'm going to go with Ohio State over Georgia. I just feel like Ohio State's going to be playing with a chip on their shoulder. They know they screwed up and they needed luck to get in to the playoff. And they got it. So this is their redemption. And typically after we've seen Ohio State drop a game, they come back and they go on a tear. I mean, just think about previous seasons when that's happened. I I do wish we would have seen Jackson Smith and Jigba actually come back this year that would i mean could you imagine jackson smith and jigba on one side and marvin harrison jr on the opposite good luck trying yeah. to cover that because guess what uh you got a meke uboka in there as well so yeah have fun with that but unfortunately jackson smith and jigba said he's declaring for the draft and he's not going to play like he did all season um but I just feel like Ohio State's going to play with a chip on their shoulder. And this is kind of reminiscent a little bit of Ohio State in the first college football playoff, if you ask me, where chip on their shoulder, nobody's expecting them to do anything. They had to all have a bunch of certain things fall their way to get in. Same thing. And then I am going to have Michigan over TCU. Michigan, I mean, TCU showed vulnerabilities and Michigan's going to capitalize on those vulnerabilities. Michigan's defense is the real deal. This is a, this Michigan team is good. I now Blake Corum's not playing, obviously that does hinder their offense a little bit more, but man, that Michigan defense is for real. Those guys are big. <laughs> Trust me. I, I saw them firsthand this year. Um, just a few weeks ago and they're big they're good they're fast so i have a national championship matchup of michigan versus ohio state and you know what i'm going ohio state i was like I was, I was feeling it i was like i think he's going ohio state here i mean why not oh uh, you know yeah why not yeah. i mean anything can happen i think it's one of those things where like once you, once you get to that championship 
it's just kind of a coin flip. I mean, it, it it's like I said, it reminds me so much of that the first college football playoff. Nobody expected Ohio State to make any noise. And then they went on and won the whole thing. Now, obviously, there's no Ezekiel Elliott walking through the door anytime soon, and that's a big problem for Ohio State's run game. But yeah, I mean, you got Marvin Harrison Jr. this time. I was going to say, you've got plenty of other talented players on that roster. So it'll be it'll be interesting to watch. I'm, I'm excited to watch the college football playoff this year. Um, but that will do it for this week's edition of – that will do it for this year's edition of the uh, Crash Course Podcast. We're going to go on our hiatus. Um, remember, you can uh, like us on Facebook, 3C Media. Go to our uh, Twitter page, at 3C Media Sports. Go to the YouTube channel. If you're not already there, hit, uh, hit subscribe, ring the bell. Go to our TikTok if you're not already over there. Um, go uh, you know, give us some love over there. You guys have been amazing. A lot of gr- good growth this year, and I'm really excited about that. And remember, you can listen to us every week on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever podcasts can be heard. You can hear the Crash Course podcast. The, basically, the plan is going to be this: uh, no podcast and uh, no act, no like you know week to week podcast until twenty uh, twenty three, um, and then uh, sometime t- towards the end of the year, um, we'll have the best of three C Media podcast go out. So make sure you're locked into that. You can find me at Crash Course FM on Twitter. B Scott, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Brandon underscore Scott 87. Like I said, uh, it was a fun year. Excited uh, for these bowl games. I hope you guys enjoy your bowl season. But until 2023, have a good one, everybody.